Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to another episode of Leftovers Podcast. Derek Kramer. Frank Curry. And thank you as always for listening to us on WGR550.com in your on-demand audio or through the radio.com app. Thank you as always for listening. And hey, let's just get right to it, Frank. I mean, last year we uh, we ended up owing a debt of gratitude to the Cincinnati Bengals for breaking yep. the 17-year playoff drought. And we get to see them again yeah. right here this year on Sunday. And yes, it's a preseason game, but you know what? There's always questions to ask about other teams. So, you know, we took the liberty. Go ahead and dial up a man from Buffalo with the 716 code. But he writes about the Bengals and about the draft. It's Joe Goodberry. Joe, it's Derek and Frank here on The Leftovers. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, thanks for coming on with us here. I mean, so much talk about the Bengals and the Bills from from breaking the playoff drought all the way to off-season transactions. You saw Preston Brown going to Cincinnati. You see A.J. McCarron and Russell Bodine coming coming here to Buffalo. There's plenty of intrigue between these two teams that goes beyond just the football aspect of things. But, you know, what better way to try to connect the dots because of the fact that these two teams are playing in the dress rehearsal game on Sunday? Yeah, it has been interesting. Um, and, and you mentioned me being from, from the western New York area, and I am. And so it, it was, you know, last year's Week 17 game was, uh, I'm sure, pure bliss for you guys. But, you know, for a lot of Bengals fans, and for me in particular, watching that and watching that unfold in, in a way that I think no one expected because it was Andy Dalton and, you know, the Bengals, and they didn't normally come through in those situations. And then they did, and it was awesome from for everyone involved. And then it seemed like, you know, in the NFL, you don't have too many friends when you think of teams and other teams, but it seems the Bills and Bengals are pretty cool with each other at this point. And, um it may have been a coincidence that they swapped players and Cordy Glenn trade too. I don't think you mentioned that. Oh, yeah, I did not. I mean, uh, right. So that helped the bills get up to get Josh Allen. It gave the Bengals a left tackle at their worst position. And you know, that just seems like a win-win situation for both teams. And of course it happened just, just, uh, you know, a couple of months after the, the, the game or the play to get the bills into the playoffs after 17 years. So yeah, it's been interesting. It's been an interesting last, you know, what, eight, nine, 10 months now at this point. Yeah, and, and like you said, it's it comes especially uh, strange to have allies amongst football teams because of the fact that the Bengals did beat the Bills last year, which, you know, added to their loss column. They wouldn't have needed that play had they, say, beaten Cincinnati. But so no, everyone tends to forget that part, uh, that the Bills were kind of sidetracked off of getting into the playoffs because of the Bengals originally, and now they have to thank them because the Bengals paid a debt to them for, uh, for beating them earlier in the year. But Joe, there's a lot of questions, though, with the Bengals. And, I mean, in particular, I always start back to the first thing in Week 17. How the hell does Marvin Lewis still have a job? 
I don't know. And I thought he didn't have one. After, I think it was week 15, I want to say that was the Bears game for the Bengals. They got destroyed um, by a rookie quarterback and, and a team that really wasn't that good in Chicago. And I think the reports that were right after that, that's it for Marvin. He's gone. The Bengals are going to move in a, in a new direction finally after, you know, 15 years. Um, and somehow the last two games were against Detroit and Baltimore. Both teams looking to get into the playoffs. Both needed wins. And the Bengals beat both of them, and and maybe two of their best performances all year, uh, maybe outside the Bills game also too. And um, you know, I, somehow we got the players to rally around him, rally around his job being on the line for the first time in a long time, and they looked good. And I think the Bengals stepped back, and Marvin Lewis stepped back at the end of the year, and looked at each other and said, I'm not sure I'm not, I'm going to get a better opportunity. This is Marvin Lewis thinking, I'm not going to get a better opportunity where I'm more comfortable and I know the players that I've built and the players I've drafted here in Cincinnati if I go elsewhere. And I think the Bengals looked at it and said, we are still the Bengals and we're still a second-rate franchise. If we <laughs> dip into the free agency of, of head coaches, we're rolling the dice. And, yeah, maybe you get a shot in McDermott, but I think whenever someone like that is hired, it's, it's you're taking a chance on a – young coordinator that could be a really good guy or could just flame out after two years and you made a complete mistake. You just never know when you're dipping your toe into that. And for franchises like the Bengals and Bills, those are the kind of guys you normally attract. Um, it's, it's rare you can attract a Rex Ryan. And even when you do, it, it doesn't always work out the way you would hope. So um, I think they both looked at it and said, you know, this is probably the best situation for each side for the immediate future. If they think they can get a team good enough to win or get close to winning, this year or next year, then they, you bring Marvin Lewis back. But he did ask for things. He wanted more control in scouting, you know, from what it seems. He, he never said this, but it seemed like they wanted to do the draft differently or go back to the way they were doing it a couple years ago. He wanted to be able to fire the offensive line coach who was there for 25 years. Uh, and, you know, before he, Marvin Lewis was there, he got that. He was able to hire a new defensive coordinator, let Paul Gunther go, who went to the Raiders. So he really was able to remake the team, and he's done that maybe – three or four times in this 15-year span where they disappoint for a year or two years, and he goes, you know what, I've got to blow up the roster, I've got to blow up the coaching staff, and we got to get this thing back on track. We've gotten too stagnant. Um, and he's done that, and he's, been, he's found success being able to do that. Uh, the funny part to me is that it's always, you know, he's part of that stagnant feeling, and he's always the constant there. And, and it kind of, from the outside, you look at it and say, I don't think this team's ever going to get over the hump with Marvin Lewis. Yeah, Joe, and I mean, looking at the roster there with the Bengals as well, it's not a team that is uh, is barren without talent. I mean, you're looking at a team that they do have pieces there. I mean, you have a strong running game that features Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard, and then you've got Andy Dalton, that quarterback who, take it as you will, the guy is at least an average quarterback in this league. And yeah. as you said, they upgraded the offensive line, and part of that upgrade was, you know, letting Russell Bodine go because we saw some struggles on uh, – back on Friday oh, I'm sure you have <laughs> oh yeah we, we saw some struggles there with a uh, with Friday's game but you know Billy Price steps in and it's probably no problem there because I like Price was a very well heralded player coming through his draft class Cordy Glenn comes in you've got pieces there I mean Tyler Croft is a good backup to the injury riddled Tyler Eifert I mean mm-hmm. so what is it about Cincinnati that always ends up befuddling this fan base and ends up kind of like Scratching your head like, they're supposed to be good? It's hard because when you start to play against good teams 
And, you know, the Bengals have always been able to run through the average or below average teams. That's how they're getting. You know, when from 2011 to 2015, they went to the playoffs five straight years. They were beating these average to below average teams on their on their schedule consistently. It was when they played the Steelers or the Patriots or, or the Packers or whoever, you know, throw out good teams there. And they did have some wins. They did beat the Patriots at one point. They did beat the Seahawks at one point. But it was never consistent. And the, the, the key or the common um, occurrence that would happen in these games is either the other team would have better quarterback play or the other team would have better coaching. And while you're, while you're stable and you feel, you feel okay as the Bengals with Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton, you realize, I think most people realize, that it, it's not the best. You're going to run into 10 to 15 teams out there that have a better quarterback or a better coach uh, around the league, and if you get into the playoffs, if you get into that that tough stretch of the schedule, it is tough to win when you're behind at those two positions. And of course, they're not like the Cleveland Browns or anything. But you know, the Browns aren't winning a game. When you're an eight and eight, nine and seven, ten and six team, you find those struggles against those teams that are maybe like the Chiefs, and somehow you lose to Alex Smith and Andy Reid just because they're better coached. Or you, you run into Andrew Luck and the Colts, and Andrew Luck just single-handedly beats you, and it then plays better than your quarterback does. And it, I don't want to place all the blame on them because there's been different issues and different struggles, and they've had good coaches, whether it be Mike Zimmer, Jay Gruden, Hugh Jackson, all guys that left for had coaching jobs. Vance Joseph left for Denver. Um, they've had a good staff. They've had talented rosters. It, for some reason, either whether it be injuries or just one half of the, of the football, whether it's uh, run defense or pass rush or the offensive line, something breaks down towards the end of the year, and they're unable to get over that hump. And a lot of it goes on the coaching quarterback, but at the same time, um, those it's because those are the constants where rather than saying, oh, that one year they lost all their receivers to injury or that one year the offensive line was terrible – the same thing that every year that happens is the coach is average and the quarterback struggles in prime time and in big games. Oh, and I, silly me, managed to forget how to mention, oh, right, A.J. Green is there too. So, <laughs> Yeah, he's, I, he's all right. Yeah, you know, I'm only leaving out that A.J. Green guy. And the receiving core there, Tyler Boyd, John Ross. John Ross is coming into a, a second season where he, he really – I mean, he flopped out of the gate. I mean, if you had the guy in fantasy last year, for example, he gave you minus two points. So <laughs> for the entire year, that's pretty impressive. Uh, so what is going on there with John Ross and with the Bengals receiving core? Uh, Auden Tate has been making wa- making waves in the preseason. Tyler Boyd, the other side of the Bills' heroism uh, on that play. So what's going on there with the Bengals receiving core and uh, the talent that's out wide? Yeah, they they really like it, and I, I think it, it's one of the strengths of the team at receiver. I mean, you got AJ Green, of course, all pro guy, um, probably top five receiver in the league. I think he's maybe a top three guy. It, he's still in the prime, still very good. They drafted John Ross last year, number nine overall. If you remember, Corey Davis, Mike Williams, then John Ross went seven, eight, nine. It was a run on receiver a little bit early, but they wanted Ross and they wanted him uh, over those guys because of the speed factor, because they really struggled to get the defenses away from A.J. Green. When it was Brandon LaFell and Tyler Boyd, guys that aren't really fast but are solid receivers, the defense was just rolling coverage towards A.J. Green. And as Tyler Eifert got injured, defenses just laughed at the idea of anyone else beating them. It was it had to be John Ross, and it had to be a pick like that. And they spent two picks on receiver last year, John Ross at number nine. And in the fourth round, Josh Malone from Tennessee, who was a six-foot, 
three, um, four, four flat guy. He ran the second fast 40 at receiver. So they really wanted speed at receiver last year and they got nothing to show for it. And the offense struggled because of it again. And, there was a lot of rumors and, and, and stuff out there of what was going on with Ross. And some people blamed it on Marvin Lewis and the Bengals um, lack of faith in young players and rookies because they've shown that at, at other positions. Uh, other things say, said that Ross wasn't ready to handle it. The injuries were there. Yes. But he couldn't handle what it, what it took to be a professional physically and mentally. Uh, he, they gave him a reset this year and allowed him to do that and allowed him to, to really get his mind and body right. And he showed up to camp, and he looks like he's ready to go. And, in, and in fact, he looked so good. And Tyler Boyd, also a third-year guy out of Pitt, who's going to be their slot receiver, he looked so good this camp that they said, we don't need Brandon LaFell anymore. And they cut him. And that shows a lot of faith in the young receivers to step up and be what they haven't been so far. And then you have Josh Malone, who I mentioned as, as the fourth guy. They like Auden Tate. Um, I think he's probably going to make the roster at this point as a seven, seventh-round pick. His ball skills and his strong hands have really stood out consistently. Um, and then the last guy is Alex Erickson, who's a special teamer, but a good slot guy. They really like the receiving core. And if, if Ross can be a, at the very least a deep threat speed guy, he'll get maybe a handful of touchdowns and get the, get the safeties away from AJ green. Uh, you hope. And, and if Tyler Boyd can man the slot and be what they expect him to be, the receiving core should be really good. They love the running back depth. They love their tight end depth. The receiving core is, is just as strong. There really is the area of concern is managing Andy Dalton and not stretching him too thin and what he can and can't do, and then really trying to hide the right side of the offensive line at this point. And then the other side, on the defense. I mean, you guys end up getting Preston Brown there in the middle for the uh, for the Bengals' defense, but there's still solid pieces around there. I mean, you've got Geno Atkins, who's one of, still one of the more underrated players in the NFL. You've got a solid secondary, Drake or Patrick, William Jackson – Safeties might be a bit of a question, but uh, your other question then just becomes, is Vontez Burfitt going to get an additional suspension for some sort of hit on the field? I think everyone expects that at this point. I don't know how he's going to be able to control himself with the new, the new rules. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. He's And even if he does play this in the rules, I feel like he'll be neutered a little bit, and you're not going to get the full Vontez Burfitt effect. And we've seen that. It can be wild, and it can be – you know, criticized, and he's going to do some things that that are going to be very questionable. But at the same time, he's a very, very good defensive player, and he makes the defense tick, and he really is the heart of of the entire team at times. And you you know you want that you want that without the without the messy things that surround it. And uh, these rules aren't going to help it at all. So after he comes back, I'm not sure how that's how that's going to play out. But um, I think the Bengals kind of went and attacked linebacker for the second straight year just in case because they, they, they signed Preston Brown who's going to play inside. But they also drafted um, Malik Jefferson in the third round out of Texas. They drafted a guy last year, Jordan Evans, who they really like out of Oklahoma, who was an athlete that they're trying to make into a more physical run-defending guy. and He's only proven he can do it. I mean, they coming from Oklahoma in a spread-out um, uh, conference, they really weren't sure how he was going to transition to be a more physical player. But, man, he has really, really jumped into that role. I wonder if, you know, he's going to start right now while Perfect out, but I wonder if he's not going to have a role even when Perfect comes back and maybe they, they control Perfect's game a little bit more and try and control his snaps a little bit. Uh, but the defensive line is probably the strength of the entire team. You mentioned Geno Atkins, but Carlos Dunlap is also, I believe, a four-time Pro Bowler. And uh, Carl Lawson is, is manning the other end spot, is probably their best pass rusher, uh, fourth-round pick last year. He's... Just quick, agile, 
but at the same time, super powerful in his power moves. And his, 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 if you want to watch a defensive end, especially a young pass rusher that has a lot of moves and can win with a lot of them, you watch Carl Lawson because his technique is fantastic and it'll give you a good idea of what to look for when you're looking at draft prospects because he came out with really good technique. Um, but there were some concerns with injuries, backs and hips and things like that. He has shown none of that so far, and uh, he's really been a dominant player for them. And then inside, they drafted defensive tackles to go with Atkins. They drafted Andrew Billings a couple years ago. He had a knee injury and fell into the draft into the fourth round after a lot of people thought he could be a first or second rounder. He's finally back to health. And he looks fantastic so far in preseason. Uh, he was really nice and through that Cowboys line last week and, and flashed a bunch against the run. And then Ryan Glasgow was a guy they drafted out of Michigan last year in the fourth round. Um, really made a step into year two. Looks like that Kyle Williams type of defensive tackle is just going to be an over, overachiever for his whole career. I think he had six pressures against the Cowboys last week. Um, I think I, their defensive line can really carry this team. And then in the secondary, they cut George Iloka this week. It's because second-round pick. Jesse Bates out of Wake Forest has really looked good this camp. And they, they believe he's a starter. He's going to provide some athleticism and ball skills that Iloka couldn't provide. And they like the combination of Iloka and Bates, one being a true free safety, one being a true strong safety. To go with the corners, three first-round picks at corner, Kirkpatrick, Darquez Denard, and then William Jackson looks like he's on the cusp of being an elite player. And if he is, um, combined with that pass rush, I think this defense could really carry the team. So with everything going on in Cincinnati right now, what are the expectations for them this year? It's hard. You know, after so many years, we've seen almost every scenario come out of a Marvin Lewis-led Bengals team, from them being really disappointing and winning four or four and a half games because because he ties three times in 15 years. But um, and we've seen 11-5. and five. You know, we've seen them look like they could be the first seed in the AFC before uh, Andy Dalton breaks his thumb tackling a, a Steeler after an interception in 2015. We've seen the highs and the lows and everywhere in between. It's hard to really peg it and say, you know, this roster maybe isn't the best roster they've had, but it's pretty close to the top. It, it's probably a top five roster he's had in these 15 years. And if the coaching staff can meet it in the same way, um, this can be a playoff team. I don't see any reason why it couldn't be. The, the, they built a very volatile team, though. And we talked about perfect, and he gets hurt a lot. He gets suspended. He gets he, he causes penalties and his own mistakes. Um, on offense, Tyler Eifert, what is he going to get to? Is he going to play three games or is he going to play 15? Uh, and then John Ross, same thing. He may only give you two two games before he's off for the year again. Joe Mixon, coming in year two, everyone expects him to take that next step and be that guy, and he, he could. The talent is there. You see it all the time. Uh, but they've never figured out how to really use a running back and really lean on him and involve him in the run game and pass game while also using Giovanni Bernard. And then Cordy Glenn, you guys know, he may only give you five games. And in those five games, he might be terrible because he's dealing with a foot injury. So there's a lot that could derail this team. So at the same time, I say, if that happens, they're probably winning five or six games. If, if everyone stays healthy, if the coaching staff is good, which I think they can be, um, they could easily win 10 games. I can see that happening. The schedule is not too tough. Uh, so, for me, it's hard for me to really say I think nine wins and feel good about it because I just think there's there's a lot of scenarios where they end up with a lot of injuries and a lot of guys missing on offense, and if it does, it sinks them the entire season. Joe, you're not just a Bengals guy, though. You're also part of the of the draft community, and you know, you've know you got your takes on the NFL draft as well, and I've just got to ask you, um, at, you know, with the Buffalo thing here going on, 
You, have you seen any of Josh Allen, and what do you think from uh, from what you were predicting about Allen in the draft, coming into the draft, and what you've seen now? What are your thoughts on uh, Allen right now? Yeah, I'll start with how I felt during the draft process. Um, I wasn't a big fan. You know, I, I'm i big on players are who they are, and their strengths will get increased and enhanced by good coaches. Their weaknesses will get hidden by good coaches. If they don't have that support system, they their weaknesses may get enhanced and they'll look worse than they actually are. But I think you are who you are. When the bullets start flying, things break down. Can you reset your feet fast enough? Can you keep your vision up? Can you know what that backside receiver is doing when, while you're looking on the right side? You know, um, can you turn and adjust and make an accurate throw? Are you going to try and do too much? Are you going to try and force a ball where it shouldn't go? While you need to move and get off your spot where you're supposed to throw at your launch point, you got to roll to the right a little bit or take a few steps in the pocket. Are you still going to remain accurate? Um, and I think Allen failed a lot of those things you would want while watching him. But I do think the the, the offense – in Wyoming really wanted him to push the ball down the field. So there wasn't a lot of easy throws, but there was still mixed in there. Like every fifth throw, you would scratch your head and go, what was he doing? And a lot of it was his lower half and his upper half being disjointed. And really his mind looks like it races at hundred miles a minute. Um, and a lot of quarterbacks look that way, but when they control it, it's special. And, and his arm strength, obviously, and the plays he would make while rolling to the right and just make a throw into that second, third level that no one else could touch or no one else could do, you'd say, man, it, it, that's rare ability. But there were so many plays where it really would drag down your hope for him as a, as a consistent NFL player. So for me, I wouldn't have taken him in the first round at all. I think it was, I, I thought it was too risky. I thought, you know, the upside isn't going to be there. You're really going to have to probably sit him for a year. I'd, I'd probably love to sit him for a year and a half. Um even though he's a real smart guy and a good guy, character-wise, exactly what you want, and you think that he can probably overcome any of those deficiencies he has in his game, whether it's physical or mental. And then I've watched him this preseason, and I, and I think he's looked really, really good. And the throw, the touchdown versus the Panthers on the right side there where he puts between, uh, looks like a cover two, he looks off the guy running in the flat route to pull that corner down on the boundary, and he fits it in between the safety. Uh, man, that's no one else can do that. I mean, there's maybe Aaron Rodgers, maybe Cam Newton, guys with the top five arms in the league. Those guys can make the throw. And if that's what we're talking about, that's special. I see Andy Dalton. He can't make that throw. He won't even test that throw. He, there's so many plays where Dalton, where I think I, I look at it and I go, oh, man, this guy would have made that throw. Or this guy would have at least tested it. And Dalton doesn't test it. And it results in a sack or a, just a dump down on third and five. And, and you know, you're, you're punting on the next play. And then Allen in the, in the next game, that touchdown in the back of the end zone where he's got to move in the pocket, slide it, come back up and, and step into the pocket. But his eyes were up. His head was up the entire time. The receiver comes across the back of the end zone and he hits him. And I thought, that's an A-plus play. That's plays that not everyone makes. Andy Dalton cannot make that play. He'll drop his eyes and he'd run, run for it as soon as the pressure came in. So that's high-end rare ability. Now I think we've seen some mistakes, too, and he's a rookie. And some of this processing looks like it's been a little bit slow, but it's also looked like it's sped up from week one to week two. And if that's the type of progression he's making, I don't see any reason why he's not your starter in week one if you're ready to go. If you're, if, if you're the coaching staff and you say um, he's made the progress, we're testing him now in week three. We've named him the starter. We're giving him a full week to prepare uh, for the Bengals. If he comes out and he plays well again and he handles all these things, all these little tasks that you're putting on him, and now he's going to go against number one defenses, it, uh, if he handles it, for me, McCarron's hurt. 
Peterman has been okay, uh, and I thought the week one, I thought he was really good in preseason. But if that's the case, for me, you're going with Allen because if you think he's making that progress enough while playing, um, for me, he's your quarterback. You're going with it. Joe, thanks for taking the time. A lot of content right there. I mean, every answer you've got, you've given everything and more from anything that we asked today, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime you need me. Yeah, no problem there. And uh, that was Joe Goodbury of The Athletic. Writes for the Bengals. Writes on the draft. You could find the man at Joe Goodbury. And it's spelled the way that you would think it's spelled. Joe it's nine Goodbury. Nine wins is feasible for the Bengals this no, year. No, yeah. Look the at Bengals, their schedule. I, you look at their roster. There's talent. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, there's something about this. when we, You know what? Let's transition this right now. With Josh Allen getting the start for this preseason game. Yeah. This is a talented defense. You've got to deal with Geno Atkins. You've got to deal with Carlos Dunlap. You've got to deal with pass rushing of Michael Johnson. You've got three first-round corners in William Jackson, Drake Kirkpatrick, Darquez Denard. They have a safety that made the Bengals think, we can cut George Ilyoka, who signed with the Minnesota Vikings, by the way. <laughs> of course. Yeah, Minnesota's looking stacked. Yeah. Um, but Great. they found that you know Bates is letting them go ahead and go, we can let go of George Ilioka and save some cash here. Yeah. You've got Perfect. You've got Preston Brown. There's a lot of talent there. Mm-hmm. If he beats that defense up, yes, in the preseason, I know. But if he beats on a talented defense for a half, hype machine, turn it to 11. Let's go. Turn it to overdrive. Exactly, 11. <laughs> Most things go up to 10, Frank. Yeah, but, you know, overdrive sounds better. Push it to 13. <laughs> How's that? Sure. Spin the knob past the 10 mark, because that's where Josh Allen will have the hype machine at if he goes ahead and beats on what is a very good defense. So what do we make of McDermott making the announcement that Allen's going to start Sunday? Sal said something on Twitter. That made probably the most sense about it. I think I know what you're going, where you're going at. He says to the point of the theory as to why they already announced it is so that Josh Allen has to deal with the rigors through the entire week of being the starting quarterback, talking to the media, uh, game planning for the opponent, the opponent knowing and game planning him. Yeah, this is the week you're going to see actual preparation for a game. This is it, and oh, it's on a Sunday too. So it really is a normal week, and he wants Josh Allen to go through it and see how he does with it. See how he handles that it. That is yeah. probably the greatest theory that I can see, read, hear. It's probably the theory that also makes the most sense. The other, the other thing we could, we could say about Allen starting Sunday is, well, it's his turn. He's the only one who hasn't started yet. I think it's the. But I think yeah. it's more of for what for prepare- what Sal said. Yeah, I think it's more of getting the preparation because he is going to one day have to do this. Yeah, whether it is this year, week one, or a little bit later this year, or if it's even somehow next year. Yeah, he's going to have to do it, and that is probably the best theory I'm going to come up with as to why it was already announced. Because, dude, the Bills kept this under locks about Peterman and McCarron's starts till like 40 minutes to kick off. Yeah. Each time. Yeah. For preseason games. They did. And now they say it right away for Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. Maybe this was their plan all along. 
Maybe. To be ready to start Josh Allen. It could have been. It may very well could have been. I wouldn't doubt it. But again, this is a this is a talented Bengals team. And that's why we had Joe Goodberry on, to talk about it. Because of the fact that, what are they getting themselves into here with this game? Well, a team that generally coaches itself out of the playoff race. That's it. Yeah. But the Bengals have been a problem over the years. They've been a playoff team over the years. Just not recently. Because Marvin Lewis, oh man, last year Ken Zampese as the offensive coordinator, they didn't score a touchdown in their first two games. I remember that. Mm-hmm. So there's one reason as to why they were bad last year. But he's mentioned that they've had uh, – Joe mentioned that they had good staffs under Marvin Lewis. They've had Jay Gruden there. They've had Mike Zimmer there. Zimmer in particular looking like a great hire of a head coach for Minnesota. The Bengals are a pretty good spot to test things. And I'm happy that this is the dress rehearsal game because, really, there is a good solid chance that the Bills have to really deal with a decent roster here. I think that if Josh Allen does well here, you give him the start. But I'm also suspecting that Josh Allen doesn't play into the third quarter. I think Peterman comes in in the third quarter with some of the starters to see what he can do. So Allen plays the first half? Allen plays the first half. Okay. And some of the the starters remain in for the second half. For at least like a series or two? Yeah, because that's usually how those things go. They'll They'll play midway through the third quarter. And then that's it with the starters. Yeah. Some only go to the half. Some players, like LaShawn McCoy, won't see past the first quarter. Probably. Please. Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, Josh Allen really is the biggest piece in all of this. It's really feeling like he's going to be the guy. And it's funny because we were talking about the start of the preseason. We're expecting Josh Allen to get all of the reps in the fourth game. Now you don't even want him touching that game. Yeah. If he plays well Sunday, even if you he, do not want him playing. Even if he doesn't, you want to subject your backup quarterback to uh, potential injury? That's true, too. We were talking about this. We went over a list of players we last were ex- podcast. We were also ex- yeah, we did. <laughs> Howard and Jeremy did as well. Yeah, it's yeah they they went with a who's deck as to who's going to play the fourth game for the Bills. Yeah, which is pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, this is really going to be a very like this preseason has been interesting for the whole way. I have to say something else though. Now, what's that? Moving on from the quarterbacks. Okay, Ryan Gray's got to be the starter. I agree. Rosa Bodine showed not getting it done. Some really bad stuff. Yeah in that game on Friday. And I don't expect that to be any different. I think that Bodine's a depth guy who can start a couple games, but he's not a starter. And you saw it in that game. Yeah, He and Dukas missed on a combo block that got McCarron sacked by uh, Larry Ojunobi. Which, great name, by the way. Yeah, it was a great name. But... You know the one the the hit that hits the hit that injures him is uh, Miles Garrett. I mean, come on, Miles Garrett's Miles a Miles Garrett. Garrett. There's not many Miles Garretts around the league. But at the same time, 
you saw the line struggle. Yeah. And you actually mm-hmm. had the questions of, is the offense really going to be this bad? But then Josh Allen comes in, two straight scoring drives, with members of the starting team and with members of the starting defense in Cleveland. Yeah, there was no Miles Garrett. That's usually helpful. <laughs> but, you know, you were playing against some starters that were still in. Yeah. And he was in with some starters, including the starting offensive line. As a matter of fact, there's a still of Josh Allen trying to get away in the pocket for that touchdown, and Russell Bodine is fixing his glove. <laughs> is it really? Yes. Can I see it? Do a search of it on Twitter. You can find All it. All right. It was – I'm not saying that the guy doesn't pay attention, but it. at the same time, I'm not going to not say it. Right. But, yeah, I um, – if you've got Russell Bodine trying to block Geno Smith uh, – I mean, Geno Atkins. Geno Smith. Geno Smith. Um, if you've got him trying to go ahead and block Geno Atkins, there's going to be a problem. Right. Especially with Dukas. So you've got you've really got a major problem here. I, I really suspect though that Ryan Groy wins this thing. Yeah. By default almost. <laughs> and it's not even that Ryan Groy's bad. But there is no way you can go ahead and tell me that there's an actual competition going on between Groy and Bodine. And we should have expected Groy to win the job anyway, right? Like Yeah. Generally, that's what people were suspecting initially was, all right, well, here we are. But yeah, no, Russell Boyding to me, it just it's kind of scaring me what the interior of that line is going to look like. But other than that, there's a lot of intrigue to this game. There's only one thing scaring me, and that's the center. Well, if Gray's not the center, I should say. Other than that, everything else to me is smooth sailing. Let's go. Marcus Murphy's won himself a spot on this team. The receiving core is kind of looking uh, solidified. What else is there to really worry about competition-wise? Taron Johnson, Philip Gaines. I mean, Johnson got a lot of time with the ones and almost got his head taken off by Jarvis Landry. Thanks, by the way, scumbag. (laughs) Yeah. Did, like, someone from Buffalo do something to Jarvis Landry as a kid? By the way, because this is this is the second time we've seen the crackback against Buffalo. I've not seen any other highlights or lowlights, I should say, of Landry throwing a crackback to someone's face. I don't know. So I'm starting to wonder if someone from Buffalo did something to this man. Just to, like, perpetually anger him forever. Could have. You want to talk a little hockey? I, gotta- I did. I did see a thing. You want, to see, you want to talk about a thing? I saw that there was a thing, or potentially a thing, going Elliot on Friedman. from Elliot Friedman about Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson trade talks picked up last few days. There, that's a, really, that's, that's I, a sense. That, that's, really, that I haven't happened. heard anything. Most likely destination appears to be Western Conference. Also believe that Vancouver has stepped in to see. Vancouver? That, that, I think that, that, that last part tells me that Vancouver – has talked to Ottawa and is trying to see if there is something that they can do. 
that doesn't mean that Vancouver is one of the top front runners for Carlson. It just means that they're they've made a pitch as well. No offense, but I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. I mean, I could totally I see. I mean, here's the thing: I could totally see Vancouver doing that because Jim Benning has a tendency to do dumb things. I mean, it wouldn't be dumb to land Eric Carlson. Yeah, but what you're going to have to give up for it? It's just a. It's just a question. Then, hey, they've beaten. They've really outsmarted the Senators before already. Actually, in a recent trade. That's true. So don't go ahead and tell me that Jim Benning is the worst of these two GMs here, because I don't know if I can believe that. Because you can go ahead and talk about Eric Carlson and inquire, and if the price is too high, you back out. Why? Well, he's going to be a free agent next year. Who cares? Is this year really that important for Jim Benning? Is it a win or get fired season? Plus, no. remember, Carlson has the modified no-trade clause. Yeah. So he can submit 10 teams to who he, he doesn't want to get traded to. For all we know. Just put all of them out west and handcuff the Senators. <laughs> That would be hilarious. <laughs> Leave the top five teams in the West, or yeah. top four, excuse me. Leave the top four teams in the West, and then just nullify everyone else. I don't want to go to Chicago. I don't want to go to. Uh, I don't, just. I don't want to go to Arizona. Four, the only four teams I, I'd go to: Nashville, Winnipeg, Vegas, Vegas, San Jose. There you go, the front runners. Then again, Vegas, San Jose would actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. That would be hilarious. Just that would be great. Leave four Western Conference teams, and then the rest you have to deal with the East, Dorian, because you seem to hate trading within your division. See the Mike Hoffman trade. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd that would be, be hilarious. Great. That would be great. So, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what, if anything happens with that. I highly doubt it will. Yeah. Once again, Carlson, if he if he does get traded, it's a big if probably at next year's trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And once again, I think that's a big if. I'm starting to think he's not going to get traded at all. He's going to walk. You really think they're going to lose him for nothing? The Islanders lost Tavares for nothing. That's a bit harsh. Carlson just... You Car- watch this, though. C- Carlson can easily think this. Look at what, look at what John Tavares just got from Toronto. Seven years, eleven million a year, on the open market. If if Tavares got eleven million, you don't think Carlson's going to get the same even more? I think it's this. Ottawa looks at they'll get something for him. He will get traded, and it could be for the equivalent of peanuts on the dollar here. But it will be something because you learn the lesson from John Tavares and the New York Islanders. It ultimately costs Garth Snow his job. What's Pierre Dorian going to do? Try to save his job. Get something well, for the man. Garth Snow got fired before. Before the man walked, but he could have traded John Tavares. Yeah, that's true. So there's a lesson to be learned here. And I don't think that Pierre Dorian is that stupid. He could be. Mm. But, by the, the thing way. thing is, we don't know if Garth Snow tried to. Uh, a moment, we a just hockey know pause. That he didn't. Hockey pause, by the way. Ryan Gray is the starter for the Bills on Sunday at center. There we go. There we go. There we go. 
So I feel a little better. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that you learn something from a catastrophic mistake like what happened in Long Island. You learn from that I, as other teams. I would trade al- Carlson. Hell, trade Duchesne. I would, al- but th- th- that's the other thing, too, that I don't think a lot of people talk about. We don't know if Garth Snow tried to trade him or not. We don't. The conversation was about pretty much asking John Tavares, are you gonna are you really gonna take off? Can I trade you? Or like can I fold this thing or are we gonna try to make the playoffs? It's it, like there was a series of questions to it and John Tavares almost right. kind of said something to the lines of, you know, I want to be here. Well what 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 else is the guy gonna say? Really? Yeah. What else is the guy gonna say? No, I don't want to be here. I'm leaving in free agency. You know how big that would loom over his head as a captain? Yeah. To finish out the season like that? Yeah, that's true. But I feel like Garth Snow should have re- should have realized this is a business. You have to do what you have to do sometimes. Yeah. And even though the guy might want to stay for this team, you risk getting him off of your books for nothing. And that is exactly what happened. He didn't get to see the end of that. Because Lou Lamorello is an expert at firing everybody when he shows up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that That is true. This is what it looks like. And I think that I think you learn you learn your lesson from another team. Yeah. Don't be that guy. Look at that guy and go, I should do this differently. That's I think, what I think this is. I think the percentage of Carlson being traded versus Tavares last year is definitely higher. We'll just have to see if it actually happens. But I'm also thinking, too, Dorian's going to set a price for Carlson and not budge. Which is admirable, but... until Probably until the very last second. And again, there's something good has, to see about that. that has to happen. There's something good to see about that, but at the same time, here's this. Get what you can at the end of the day. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that that's exactly what Bottrell did when uh, he traded Vander Kane. Yeah. He got what he wanted for Ryan O'Reilly, and he held out a little longer than people expected him to. Yeah. But with Vander Kane, he had to settle a little bit. He still got the first-round pick that he initially set out for. Yeah, it just took a little work. It took a little work. And sometimes that's what negotiation is, is that you have to work something out. Knowing that you're at a disadvantage, get what you can out of them. Right. And everyone knows that Dorian's at a disadvantage here. Yep. So we'll see what happens. But, look, no, nothing against Elliot Friedman, but I don't think anything's changed on the trade front right now. Eh, because, I can see it. Because, because the Sabres trade for Jeff Skinner came out of almost nowhere. Yeah, but there was... Yeah, that's true. It did come out of nowhere. But that was also because Jeff Skinner was traded here. When when was Skinner traded here? Was it like August 2nd? August 2nd? August that's, 2nd. That's still the lull period of the offseason where really little to no news ever comes out unless it's a trade like unless it's a trade. Unless it's like a transaction. You don't really hear any rumors. You don't hear anything go go about because everyone's on vacation. Yeah. Everyone's on the, you know, it's summer. Everyone's enjoying the off season. It's August 22nd right now. 
we're dirt. The players are starting to come back to go to their cities and starting to work out, and or at least on ice training. They've done they've done plenty of of off off ice training during the during the off season already, and they're going to continue to do that obviously up until training camp and stuff. You know, and then they go into their regiments there. But now they're starting to come back here and starting to skate with each other. Coaches are coming here too. Everyone's starting to gather, so rumors are going to start to swirl again. Training camp, hockey training camp starting soon. It is. We're around the corner from it. We're almost yeah, in September, dude. We are. That's exactly that's exactly my point. Like we're almost there, so everything is going to start to come about again. That 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 I mean that's at least the difference with Carl with this rumor now, and then with the Skinner trade coming out of nowhere. Because it may, it makes sense for the Skinner trade to come out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I I get that, but again, I don't think anything changes on that front for a little while. I think I, when, I think when to. training camp comes back, I don't expect it to. And yeah. all these teams report, you might have more conversations. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, once training camp start, once training camp starts, it's it's take off again. Yeah. But now it's okay. You know, we're starting to get, we're starting to you know get back into the swing of things. It's it's almost it's not almost time to get ready for the new season. You know, let's get to work. And we'll find out. That goes for the players. That goes for the coaches. That goes for analysis. Goes for insiders. But for now, football. It's still football. It's still football time. Still football. And that also means, with Sunday's game, and our coverage starting at noon. We're gonna need to uh we're gonna need to do a different day on the pod there, Frank. So we can. It's not gonna be on Sunday. I know that for sure. <laughs> I'm gonna be a little busy. Same here. <laughs> so thank you as always for listening to the Leftovers Podcast here on WGR550.com on your on demand audio or through the radio.com app. I'm not even working the Bills game on Sunday. I got a I got a fantasy draft. Well, good for you. <laughs> and we'll get some fantasy heavy stuff since there's only going to be one more week of the preseason. Yes. So we'll talk some fantasy. We'll double dip on the podcast here in due time. Thank you as always for listening. This is Leftovers Podcast. I'm Derek Kramer. I'm Frank And hey, Bills Bengals on Sunday. You know where to tune in. Right here on WGR. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.